Hello Tabletop Wargamers, and welcome to Tried and True, a podcast hosted by the Delaware War Machine community. Join us as we dive deep into topics around our favorite games, exploring methods and techniques proven to enhance anyone's gaming experience. Hello everybody and welcome to the 18th episode of Tried and True. I am your host Paul. I'm Dan. I'm Erica. I'm going to be honest, we were just talking ahead of time. All three of us are kind of tired this night, so we're not really feeling the energy. It just just know that we have a lot of stuff going Ooh, on. Low energy podcast. It's not about <laughs> it's not about War Machine. I just came back from a bachelor party over the weekend, so I am drained. Yeah, Dan was showing us the pictures of it. He forged an axe That's right. and like ended up like using it. Yeah. We had a uh, blacksmithing class was like the main attraction, so it was uh, a pretty awesome time. But hey, uh, we're here to talk about more War Machine stuff. Tired or not, uh, we're still we're still putting it out. So, Paul, what do we have on the uh, schedule tonight? All right. So this is actually what's really funny about this is that you know the the last series that we did was the hosting your large event, and we were supposed to go and finish that up, but then all the privateer press interviews happened, and then Mark Four got announced, like all this other stuff happened. So we're actually finally finishing up that how to prep and host your first large gaming events so you know i'm so glad that we're finally at the end but before we get started let's go ahead and get the introductions out of the way I want to thank more than dice gonzo for giving us another platform you can check out the other shows minority report boca broadcast and war dice on his network if you like what you're listening to consider subscribing to the youtube channel we are we're, we're at like 830 some subscribers right now almost close to that 1000 it's it's amazing considering that you know only a couple months ago we were trying to hit 500 so it's, it's been great oh really quick paul we need to think of a new something to uh celebrate once we hit 1k subscribers i think we should actually do the live cast where we're all on camera <laughs> i'm just kidding no that's awful oh, that sounds like a nightmare sandwich I think, I think andy would rack you for that <laughs> however however if we do get to a, a thousand subbies you know i might i might, I might be down to clown <laughs> I think it'd be I think it'd be all right. It would be like the worst one though cuz there would be no audio editing at that point. So you can actually see what what the episodes would look like without it. But. Behind the scenes. Just make sure you get my good side. <laughs> all right. And then what was it? And then if you really like what you're listening to, you want to support the cause, check us out on Patreon. You'll be able to get the early releases, be able to see the battle reports and the podcasts like a little bit earlier than, you know, the others and the masses and yeah, it's great. And just as a quick reminder, Pax Unplugged, tried and true in advanced maneuvers. We're trying to get that situated so it's already planned for december 3rd tony announced it on the advanced maneuvers live stream last week definitely recommend you go and check that out our friend uh, sam down uh, in maryland he's on that episode he talks about rebuilding the maryland community and they talk a little bit about what to do and you know how to look forward into mark four and how to rebuild so it's it's a great listen yeah i would just say too for pax unplugged for those that haven't been to a convention yet especially have a family kids and you know it's a great first convention uh, it's pretty it's pretty chill the community is great not saying that other communities aren't great at other conventions but it's got that like it's a good like chill energy um, so if you're if you haven't been to a convention yet and you're kind of nervous about you know rolling up to one pax unplugged is a great first convention to get your feet wet with alex you agree with that because pax was my first convention i ever went to and i remember i was a little like nervous but you know you standing in line everyone's just interested in nerding out talking about games and it's absolutely a wonderful time definitely recommend it the convention center is huge you'll see a bunch of cool vendors you'll pick up some really neat swag and they have what is it? they also have like the, the the board game like renting area 
as well, which is just like nice. You just play a bunch of games you've never even like played before. Yeah, I agree. PAX Unplugged is an incredible you know, event. And it also has the advantage of having some really great food. The Reading Terminal Market is like right outside the convention center. And that's a lot of really local vendors and sellers of, you know, or distributors of food local to the Philadelphia area. You really can't go wrong with getting a meal in that place. So, And there's a lot of like historical things in the area. So if you do come with your family and friends, uh, there's a ton of great restaurants, a lot of history in Philadelphia. So it's a good time. It's a good time. Perfect. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the outline for what we have scheduled for today. So on this episode, we're going to be debriefing Liberty Brawl. We mentioned that we we're going to go do that a while ago, but uh, Grant was, you know, he just actually was on the one of the WTC teams for one of the American teams. So he's been very busy with that, but I was able to to get a small a session with him. So I'll be playing that and we talk about Liberty Brawl. We'll be debriefing Nova as well, at least like talking about it as we are inheriting it. And I guess where we need to look at to move forward, then we'll debrief the Susquehanna scuffle talk about what what was uh, great about that event. Erica can go and basically share a lot of the information. She did a Google form. It was really cool about you know what people thought about it. And then really, we're going to basically use the lessons learned from those three different events and how we can prep for packs. So at this time, I'm actually going to play the recording for Grant Ritchie. So if you hear like the audio is a little bit weird, it was just done at another time. It was edited separately. So we'll go ahead and listen to that. And then we'll get into uh, Nova. Hey, last minute, thank you so much for joining up with us. So I I was just hoping that we could actually like share the the debrief of Liberty Brawl and just talk about your experience with I know you're you're prepping for WTC and everything. So I I respect your time and and really grateful that you'll be able to chat with us real fast. Buddy, thanks for having me again. It's been, I mean, it's been a couple months since we did the Liberty Brawl, but schedules, you know, you guys were doing some great stuff with PP. Obviously the Mark IV announcement came out and everything kind of went crazy from there. So it's, it's no problem. I might, Right. Uh, take a minute thinking of some of the answers because because we got to go back to june so have to <laughs> bear with me but yeah it's now it's great to be back on and liberty brawl was awesome I, I i think everybody had a great time one thing i will address we did have some issues the building was not air conditioned which i didn't really know and i've run tournaments there in the summer and it's never been an issue and i heard that like people were like ending the day shirtless dude dude it was i i literally i felt I don't think I've ever sweat that much in my life, like consistently throughout throughout an entire day. I mean, it was it had to be over 100 degrees in there. People left because it was. I mean, honestly, it was a factor. Like it was like literally everybody was like, "This is this is terrible." Like we went and grabbed waters and ice. We tried to keep everybody hydrated. Well, I mean, you got to worry about like the health concerns at that point because you don't want people having like a heat casualty, like passing out and stuff. Yeah, And, and and I feel so bad. I really do. Like it was again. I've run tournaments in the summer there. It's never been a problem. And of course, like the day before, it was fine. And then the next day is like, 98 degrees which in a in a warehouse you know that's not air conditioning just just completely what's the word I want, exponentially just you know m- makes it 10 times worse right so it was really bad and i apologize to everyone for that. that that's the one thing i would say to anyone is is whatever however comfortable you think it's gonna be when you take 32 people and put them in a room it's gonna make it it's gonna make a difference the body heat the, the everyone moving around it it makes a big difference so you really got to think about that you really got to think about the temperature even at your game store 
it's gonna be a little a little bit warmer all like muggy in there from all the sweat yeah so for sure like easily like first thing we would do differently is i would go buy like 10 industrial size fans and just plug them in all around all around that place and it's a shame because you've been there the venue's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's so comfortable because i was there earlier that day and i remembered like it was just fine there was no heat issue or anything like that i was comfortable hanging out and then you know i had to leave to go do my own thing and yeah, like I just heard about the story like afterwards. So, dude, I, I mean, I was drenched. I, the first thing I did when I got back, I, I was staying at, at Mike's house. The first thing I did is I was like, dude, I, I got to take a shower. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I feel so gross. It was unbelievable. And real fast though, because you were talking about like the challenges. Well, overall, like I, what, like what went well? Like what in your planning phase, I guess, helped you out for setting up for success for the Liberty Brawl? And then what challenges did you see like on the day of? Yeah, so one thing, a couple things that we did, that, I mean, for sure, the first thing was having somebody like Seth, who's done an event of that size and, and several times larger than what we did there. So having Seth was a big help because he was able to prepare me for a bunch of stuff. There was a bunch of things Seth told me, people are going to drop, keep the wait list. And I'm thinking, nobody's going to drop. This is such a big, and then sure enough, like weeks leading up, like people were dropping like flies. Like I, I think we ended up going like to seven or eight deep on the wait list to, to grab people because things came up cars break down people get called into the i had to go my wife's grandmother died you know that that week i didn't get up there until uh, halfway through i think toward the end of round one because I, I had to go to a funeral that morning like it was it was things come up and that's one thing i would certainly tell is like be prepared if you think you're gonna get 32 <laughs> you're probably not people are gonna drop have a contingency plan for that whether it's a couple locals that are standing by that maybe aren't super comfortable playing in that environment, but they could step in just to not have somebody have to have a buy. You know what? We've actually done that with the Susquehanna scuffle was that when we were planning that, we all were bringing our armies, like the ones who were judging, just in case we had last minute drops. So that way, you know, you'd have an opponent to go play or there'd be like a, a team of three as opposed to just like a team of two. So no, I, I agree. I think as organizers, it's a good idea to have your armies just on hand. Like I, I know it might be a little bit weird as a judge that you might end up playing but i mean if it prevents the buy round like why not ideally you don't want to do it and, and you can just to give someone a game but you don't like i i'm not playing because i'm not allowed to play so i'm not gonna play somebody right there just as like a side game because I, I can't count that unless unless it was like okay you're gonna get the buy but we'll play just so you get a game but but ideally if you could have a local that just is like uh i'm i'm here you know and and there's a lot of people out there that like don't necessarily love the competitive environment, but are like, yeah, I'll, I'm here to play, so I'll play, I'll step in if we need it. So I think that's a good one, you know, to try to get an even number in any capacity that you can. That was probably the biggest challenge. I mean, other than your normal stuff of accommodating 32 people, tables, which again, we are lucky that we have an event that that's run 100 person tournaments, tables, not an issue, mats, clocks, the correct terrain, you know, mishmash of terrain can lead to a bunch of issues where one table has quicksand that the brownish kind of war table one, and then the other one's using like the muse one, which kind of looks like a hill. 
Yeah, you know, we're actually talking about that right now because we're planning for PAX Unplugged. I don't know if you've heard, we're trying to do a Mark IV steamroller for PAX Unplugged December 3rd. And we're talking right now about having 16 unique tables. I'm like, that's a really tall order to go do. But what we're realizing is that we're consolidating the stuff that we have at alternate universes. I think Tony's seeing what he can get a hold of. So the, the tables might be a little bit of a hodgepodge of different stuff. But I think overall, the goal is that it'd be really nice. And is it possible that the um, Battle Bunker could maybe help out if we needed like extra like terrain to like make theme tables or yeah i'm sure that would be fine i i would just have i can talk to marcello yeah we absolutely i i have plenty of terrain up there so we can work that out as we get a little bit closer nice nice but i would i would say if you gotta have a mishmash one thing that you probably would want to do if you can is make some type of terrain sheet for each table because you, the one thing you should kind of do as an organizer, if you're, and Seth does this, if you're using anything that looks weird, that people aren't going to be like, okay, that's a hill, right? Then you should, if you're not going to stand up at the beginning and go, hey, if you see these, these are hills. But you can't do that with 16 tables worth of terrain if everything is different. You know what I would imagine? It's like tall grass would probably be the biggest one because I know we've used force for tall grass, but then like we put like a different table topper on it, but then like the players don't realize it. So now I, I, I get that. So if you could make a cheat sheet to leave at the table and be like here's the terrain for this table because you, know, you don't you don't want to have to go over to every table and because that's what's going to happen they're going to judge you're going to come over and they're gonna be like what is this what is this what is this right and you don't want to do that 16 times so you, you definitely want to make sure that that you've either explained what all your terrain is at the beginning of the tournament or you have some kind of cheat sheet with a picture which again i, I, I know that's a tall order i'm I, i'm not actually saying everyone should do that because that's kind of crazy but I mean, we got we got like two months to prepare. So sure. I mean, three months. So it's possible if if there is anything that you would do different for the next time or things that you wish you would have done, like what would it be? So, so for us, at least to kind of know going into PAX Unplugged. One thing I didn't do that I would do is I would do some kind of ticketing system. What I did is just opened it up and let the floodgates open and told people to Venmo or PayPal me. And while that worked, it got kind of insane with people with it coming just in in four different directions and then people messaging me and oh hey is it sold out and now i got to figure out who sent the money in first and put people on a wait list in what order so one thing i would say is if you can get like an i don't know if it's like eventbrite or or some of the websites where you can you know actually have people purchase the ticket through there and again i don't know what cut they take i haven't looked into any of that but i would just say for ease of and for a smaller event, that might be fine. It depends on what size event you're looking to host. I, I should specify that. If we're talking about a larger event, though, I really think that that is a much easier way to keep everything together. And other than the temperature, I, I think the things we talked about the first go-round, I, I think if you can get all of those things together, I, I think you'll have a successful event regardless of there's gonna be stuff that comes up day of there just is somebody doesn't show up something gets lost and and you have to have a team and i do real quick i do want to thank erica so so much because she was a huge help to us that day she was everywhere she was running around making judge calls she was putting stuff in pg swiss you got to have people like that that know the rules and are willing to just be hey i'm here to help and whatever everybody needs i'm gonna go do yeah, that was one thing that I was like putting in my document is that we have a lot of people wanting to help out with packs, but it's like we need to kind of figure out like roles, like who's a go-to person, who's going to be on scores, who's going to be a judge. And I think like having like a good support system would be great. But yeah, Grant, I, I really appreciate you spending the time chatting with us. I know that you're really busy between your family, WTC prep and all that stuff. So just thank you again. And yeah, I wish you the best of luck uh, up in Belgium. 
Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. And, you know, well, would love to come back on and, and chat again sometime. So you guys keep up, keep up the great work. It's, it's awesome. Love what you're doing. Thanks, man. I'll see you. All right. And that was my uh, little talk with Grant. It was great. Dan, I'm sorry that you didn't have the opportunity to exchange war stories with him, but he he definitely had a lot of things to talk about. And Erica, if you were able to hear, he he definitely gave you a shout out for uh, all your assistance that you ended up doing for the um, Thanks, Grant. Uh, Liberty Brawl. Yeah, I learned, I learned a whole lot, actually, and took some of the things I learned uh, from working with uh, him, Dave, and Seth, you know, my toolbox to use in, in future events and steamrollers. So thanks for the opportunity. I, I, had, I had a blast. It was a great time. Yeah, me too. It was in, it was a great event to play in. There was a lot of stiff competition and it was, you know, I had a lot of fun at that thing. So again, once again, thanks Grant for putting that on for us. Okay. Now with that, let's go ahead and talk about Nova. Now, Erica, Dan, Andy, and I, we were all at Nova we, we played in the team event. Erica, Dan, and Andy, you played in the Masters event. So we've kind of already talked a little bit about Nova, but I think what would be beneficial is to kind of looking at it from an organizer point of view, because we ended up, we're inheriting it. Like, that's what was told, right? That we're going to be running it next year. Well, like, I guess what we're starting with, what are some challenges or some needs that you think that need to be met? First things up, we need stuff tables and terrain right we are told that nova has a collection of mats to go on tables which is a great start and i believe they supply the actual tables as well but when we went to nova we well we would have liked to have seen 3d terrain be a little bit more prevalent um or the ability to use a 3d terrain piece on top of a a 2d terrain marker to make sure that you can have that level of precision that you might want in a master's event. Hey, so I wanted to ask real fast because they, they did have the terrain there. They had basically a bunch of it wasn't the neoprene material. It was the I think I think it's like MDF that's like slightly beveled with like some stuff on there. I know they had it for craters and rubble and stuff. Is that ours for us to go use? Like what's happening with that stuff? So what I learned <laughs> that week is um, so like the war machine hordes, I guess war machine now has just a huge box that sits on a pallet that uses the same terrain objective pieces scenario elements every year and that's so everything that was over there was supplied by this box that's kept in a nova warehouse throughout the year okay so then that means that when we end up picking it up if we don't bring anything we at least have that but i think we can both agree that looking at the lord of the rings tables and like the oh, yeah our bo- tables, our bo- that that'd be a budget box we need to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to jazz our tables up a little we bit more upgrade but yeah. hey at least we have clocks. Yeah, no, we at least have something to start off with. And I and I kind of keep telling myself, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but he said that for all the Lord of the Rings tables, it was not done overnight. It was piecemealed over year over year. And I'm looking at like packs as like, if we're able to get like 16 tables that are decent enough, that's at least a good starting point for us to even continue to build. And we can eventually move those things down there for Nova and use it for that weekend too. Yeah, I would also say too, so something that I'm kind of learning as I'm going through this process is venturing outside of the war machine community and really talking and networking with other gaming communities. So like the Lord of the Rings guys, right? Like that was a great in on um, some of the techniques that they use because their tables are absolutely gorgeous. They are like dioramas practically and it's they're beautiful i highly recommend that if you haven't 
seen either our music video or pictures from Nova, uh, take a look. Those are great. But even like the 40K and the AOS stuff. What was the one thing that you were talking about that you said something about like the planets or something? Yeah. So there's a, a really cool video on YouTube. Katie and Sergeant Steel came out with a video about a 10, 15 minute long video about his greatest table narrative experience he had, which was at Nova this past Nova. So I've been kind of doing research, going online, checking out, you know, Reddit and YouTube. And the guy basically said, like, this was the best tabletop experience he has had at any convention. And he's been going for a while. So what they did with this 40k narrative was they had, I think it was, they had six tables on like four, uh, four rows. And each row was its own planet. So all the tables that were designated for that planet had a unique style. They had special rules that were associated with that planet. So like, let's say, you know, group of table one, you're better at casting magic versus three, they have, you know, some weird going on there. And then they also introduced like third party elements on the table. So you could score points by like rescuing civilians. So it's like you could get points for rescuing civilians or not saving the, uh, the, um, the, the neutral pieces on the board. So it just brought this kind of unique feel to it. And I thought that'd be really cool. I was like, oh, how awesome would that be if we took a row of tables and, you know, theme them for, uh, you know, a nation? Like, this row is the Signar tables. This row is the Kador tables. This row is the Retribution tables or uh, Dusk tables. Using that logic, all the tables are Kador tables, though. <laughs> yeah, it's that's true. That's true. true. You're just borrowing it. But it'd be really cool, aesthetically speaking, to theme all those tables so we could have a bunch of, you know, Iosian ruins on the on the Dusk and Retribution tables. For Kador, we could have, you know, mountains, the train yard, you know, a forest, that lumber mill uh, setup that, that Paul did a couple of months ago. So it just kind of got the, uh, the gears in my head churning to, you know, make the tables you want to... They advertise your game, you know what I mean? So if people are walking by, what are they going to look at? They're going to look at, you know, our brown and gray tables with our little houses on it, which are cute. Like, they're cute, okay? But uh, Or Lord of the Rings, that's next door, where you have, you know, recreations of all these battles from the movies. You know, you can make your tables look good, so people people come by and watch. And then you're, like, talking about potentially maybe, like, a narrative event. So in the event, because Privateer Press is talking about doing those you know, events or using the app in order to go and push out, what is it, leagues or, or whatever it was. Is that, am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. So, and that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to going to Warfare Weekend and with talking to Gonzo to see all the different kind of events that they have going on there. I think it's really important. I guess we'll get into this more with the Sussy Scuff debrief is really knowing your audience and being able to expand that community. So like going to Nova and looking at the schedule and the convention all i could see is like oh these are going to be like very high tier events where we have masters and teams with a lot of you know top tier competitive players i would like to next year at nova and hopefully again we'll talk about this later with, with delegating out tasks and responsibilities but i would like to have a, like a narrative campaign that takes place that weekend so we have something for everybody that you know maybe you want a more casual experience of course have the tournaments like we're not going to get rid of those but just to have that option there and it, it, it gives something for everybody like that, that and that's what we want to do and, and that's the thing so like these games are built on the backs of your casual players so if you don't offer anything for the casual players like how's that going to grow your your gaming scene you know what i mean and 
I mean, even you could have people like looking at the table like, what is this? Oh, they're doing that? This is the kind of games that you play? Like, I want some of that mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, and like what Gonzo does, they have the bounty system thing where you like choose a house and then you earn points over the course of a weekend for your house. And, you know, and that that affects a prize pool. Like, that would be cool where you're working towards something and it's not so competitive. Yeah, I always liked the little extra prize pools that you could get. I remember TempleCon used to have this uh, Iron Arena thing where you would just wander around and play pickup games. And every time you played a game, you'd earn a point. And then you could use that towards, you know, getting some extra tokens or something or more focus point tokens for the game. And those were always, you know, a big draw because you'd meet some interesting people, you'd play some fun games, and you could get something to take home with you afterward. I was going to just piggyback really quick, Dan, is one thing, one of my big takeaways back, and we could talk about this with the survey later, is the amount of time where we stayed in this one room playing this one game all day, which is like... Which is great, right? Because we love the game. But it's so exhausting. And when you're in a city like D.C. or Philly, like, I want to get out and explore the city while I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't want to feel, by the third day, second day, actually, like, I was feeling really run down. So I don't know how long these Mark Four games are going to be. But it's definitely a consideration. Like, do I want people playing War Machine for 12 hours straight in this convention hall? I mean, I know that at least like when we were playing, it was it was like the beginning of the day as soon as we got into Nova and then we were leaving, it was night. And especially if you're in a room like that has like no windows or anything like that, you have no sense of time. It's like that casino feel. Yeah. (laughs) It's also late in the summer. So it's about the time the days are getting shorter anyway. So I think that was kind of doubling down on what we were where we were getting hit by but sure. uh speaking of mark four i had a couple ideas i know that we we're going to have to change some things uh for the new types of tournaments there's probably going to be some kind of shakeup. but generally speaking i'm hoping that we don't have to completely reinvent uh you know scenarios and stuff assuming that we don't just high level there's a couple of neat ideas i've been noodling on for running mark four events like a more casual focused event might be having players play like a three round event where round one is at 50 points round two is at 75 round three is at 100 and you just have an upgrade tier list that you might add in after the first round after the second round etc you know that could be a neat twist to another more streamlined tournament you know there's a lot of things that we can do with this new format that i think would be you know really interesting so we're going to have to, you know, maybe maybe if you guys want to leave some comments about any interesting convention tournament ideas that you might have, or even just like a, a narrative event. I know one year, prior to press at Lock and Load, they had this event where several players had to storm a fortress. And other, on the other side of the table, all of the players were like deploying their models on top of the city walls and stuff. And it was, uh, you know, you had to break down the doors and get through or protect the doors and, and, and keep the enemies out. It, you know, it seemed like that was a, a rare chance to do something really cool with miniatures. And I'd like to see more of that. You know, it's actually funny that you mentioned that. I, I So I've been on a 125-point kick lately, and I played a 125-point game with Ryan from Maryland. And he threw out an apotheosis campaign where it was like scorn versus scorn. We had to go destroy like four houses on the other side. I don't know what the scenario was, but it was just something fun. It was something different. It was like a palate cleanser. Yeah, it's kind of neat. That's exactly the type of thing I'm talking about. A non a non traditional objective, but uh, you know something that two players can still have fun over. Or like Erica was saying, um, these set of tables are all Kador themed. These sets of tables are all 
themed from iOS or whatever. You know, if it was the Kador one, maybe you're fighting in a snowstorm and you have to and and every once in a while you you suffer a speed penalty or something. Well, I mean, I I still think like what Lauren ended up saying is that as a TO or an event organizer, you can change up how you want those steamrollers to work because or if you want to add random like terrain elements, like it the balls in your court if you're running the event, you just have to make sure that your players know that it is and I think that's important for if we're saying that this is a narrative type event, you, I'm pretty sure players would be drawn to that experience because it's something different. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's a whole new edition and we're willing to experiment with some stuff. So if you've got some crazy ideas, let us know. Okay, well, with that, let's go ahead and debrief the Sussy Scuff because Eric was mentioning this earlier. Eric, were you, were you able to grab the Google form that you did about, you know, everyone's like experience with it? Yeah. The results from it? So, um... I mean, talk about it so, so I'm in the military, so I've kind of adopted some of what I have <laughs> learned in my uh, my time in the army. So I'm really big on uh, we call them after action reports or after action reviews in in the army, where we really want to get feedback from everybody, so the event organizers and the players to because that's that's such valuable information to get from you know people that are participating in an event, so you know hey what went good, what can we sustain or what was really bad that has to get addressed so like we had the painting competition right and I forget who mentioned that to me it might have been somebody at owls it was great great suggestion it was awesome so my big takeaway from me from that was okay next year when we have a painting competition maybe separate the huge bases from everybody else it wasn't the guy that won that painting competition from Elle's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like maybe just having two separate, you know, categories with the same, you know, caliber of prizes, of course. But, it brought, you know, it brought up a good point. You know, bigger bases have bigger, you know, bases. There's a little bit more. It's more canvas. I actually think that that's what happens at, uh, at Boca Brawl is that they do like a small, a medium and a large base like mm-hmm, models. Mm-hmm. And they're actually like, two, there are different things there. Yeah. So, yep. So I basically pushed out a survey a couple of days after the sussy scuff. And the, the big thing, the biggest feedback that I got was the casual experience. So 95% of the people that we polled, they wanted to maintain this more casual type of event. The rounds too. So I think between three and four, the max was four. Travel, like what distance people were um, would drive to attend an event like this. If they had fun and what type of feedback, you know, the guys like maybe some of the tables were too close together where players didn't have enough space between them and the person behind them. So taking that information and Ryan from Maryland War Machine, Rye Rye, shout out. He's been helping me research venues. So that's information that we're taking with us to help, you know, make a choice when it comes to table space. Okay. And then, well, what about like, let's talk about how you actually designed the Sussy Scuff. Because when when you originally pitched it, right, after we talked to Seth, after we talked to Gonzo, you kind of created a committee and then you're like starting to task out certain things. Like how did that go? And I guess what responsibilities were you thinking of when you were when you kind of came up with the committee to begin with. Sure. So the big thing going into it is one, like what is our overall objective? So that needs to be, you know, that needs to be clear. So with going into the sussy scuff, our meta, you know, we're a little over a year old now, Maryland's the same. So when our metas were starting, we're like, hey, you know, if we're still around in a year to celebrate, we should have this fun, you know, dojo store showdown. So even though it's a tournament, it's in, it's in good fun. And knowing your audience. So our communities, we have a ton of new players that haven't necessarily tried their handout at a tournament yet. So what's a way we can incentivize that? Well, instead of doing singles, what if we do a team? And the makeup of 
of that team would be one veteran player and two junior players. So I think that really helped with our players' confidence in trying a, uh, a, a tournament like this for the first time. So that was the big thing. And then for the committee was, I can't do it on my own. So first it's, you know, this is a big project. You could try and do it on your own. I'm sure if you listened to our first podcast series for back in um, February, uh, it's very difficult. So delegation of responsibilities, pulling your community and seeing what strengths and ideas people have. So, you know, Sam and Ryan, they helped a lot with the venue side of the house. I was more on the coordination for like the prizes, the start time, the actual event registration, and being able to delegate that out. So I asked for volunteers. And I had a lot of, you know, a lot of people step up in the community. And for some of the people that worked with me, this was their first time working on something like this. So I would, you know, challenge other community leaders, you know, reach out to your folks that haven't done this before, because that's really going to build up their confidence and their experience. Plus, it gives a different perspective to the table while you're planning. So things that I thought about for Delaware might not work for Maryland. So it was really beneficial having Sam and Ryan on the committee helping. I remember also being able to find the uh, team document, the you know the structure of how the team tournament was going to be done. And we discussed a five-person or three-person event, but settled on three. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, Dan is like great when it comes to doctrine and <laughs> rules and stuff. So thank you, Dan. Yeah, no problem. And uh, like even my small contribution is just something that I'm I'm happy to be able to offer. But what are your thoughts about I, I guess I don't want to jump jump the gun again with it. But what are your thoughts about uh, the next year? You know, we're looking to maybe add more tables, add more teams. Do we go from three to five? That sort of thing. I I actually kind of want to chime in on that is that I really like the structure of three as opposed to five. And my reasoning for that, I go back to like the five person event for Nova where we had people dropping. And I don't know, I feel like losing a member like out of a team of five hurts a lot more than maybe losing one out of a team of three. And at least for us, because we had so many people working, or at least part of that committee, they had their armies readily available. So that way we could spot fill all those teams in there. So yeah, I was gonna say that's that's a really good point, Paul, is if you do have a drop, it's a lot easier to find a rep versus on a five person team. Yeah, so there was like that. And I, I think at least for the team sizes, how many teams do we have? Do we have six or do we have eight? We had six. So my uh, one of my goals with the team and limiting it. So originally we had 24 players total, teams of three. So my big thing is I didn't want to go any more than three rounds. Because again, for a lot of our players who were participating in the Sussy Scuff, this was their first steamroller. So again, knowing your audience, I don't want to like kill these guys on their first steamroller and having them play War Machine for 12 hours straight because, you know, uh, my first steamroller, like I, I was done after my third game. My second game, I was like, okay, how do I exit the simulation? Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that the day was paced really well. So we had rounds one and two, and then we had a player break slash rest for an hour so people could go out and get food and just kind of decompress and hang out. And come back for the final round. And we got really good feedback on that. Like pretty much 100% of our players were like, yeah, we really enjoyed that extended break between the second and third round. As a player that notoriously plays like two hour games, every game, every round of the tournament, I'm always there until 
the last minute, it seems. Uh, not having a break in between rounds is so crushing. <laughs> I'm just so exhausted. I mean, you just you just get burned out. And I don't know, like you and I will go up the portal at times and you just, hey, man, do you got a cliff bar? Can I get a cliff bar? Like, <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yeah, not to be like, this is like the medic in me, but I'm all about the, you know, player nutrition. It's important. Rest that's is right. important. <laughs> Drink water. No, 100%. Yeah. Get some protein in you. I'm squirreling these damn cliff bars away in my cargo pants pockets. <laughs> hey, Eric, can I actually, or actually maybe like this is a Dan question. What about like making the team event more fun? Because didn't you end up doing like the once once a day feat where you did, what is it called? The sussy shuffle or something? Yeah, right. that came from what? Rhode Island, right, Dan? Is that Captain Khan does that? Uh, I can't remember. I have seen it in a couple of different events. I don't recall the first place I saw it. But the idea is that when you have three people on a team, there's less ability to kind of choose and create matchups in this team event. So they give you the advantage of being able to say, you know, once per tournament, we're going to use our quote unquote team feat, whatever name you want to give that. Uh, we we gave it the, uh, the Susquehannas themed name, the, uh, the Sussy Shuffle. So you can say, I'm going to use my team feat and I'm going to switch these two players. And that way I fix the matchups in two of the games. You know, you have to have like a judge there. So they'll write down on your team sheet that you've already used your team feet because you can only use it once across the entire event. And funny enough, the one time our our team used the team feet, the other opposing team just used it again. So it didn't really work out for us. <laughs> but do you think it would be better if you had maybe two or three different feats and like at the beginning of the tournament you could go choose it like one is you, you can switch a map you could switch a like a, a players or maybe like i'm going to add five more points to my list or something like that yeah the only the only thing i would challenge to that is again like for a lot of people this is their first time so that like swiss um what is it the uh the the method that we use for the teams where if you you know your team a or team b yeah, I think it was the uh, German style. Yeah, so that can be very overwhelming for new players because I know for like the first round, like we had a judge with each you know set of tables to help, and and Dan of course to help facilitate that. So I don't maybe down the line I, again we would have to know what our what our audience is. So I would I just I wouldn't want to overwhelm them with a bunch of extra rules on top of a complicated game. No, no, no. Of course, I just like I'm just like wondering though if like if like I'm gonna go feet and then you feet as well. Like if, if it's like a moot point at that point. But well, so that's the thing about choosing to go first or not. So like if you elect to you know drop your army first, I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. it's that just so then that gives a benefit for the person that doesn't drop or the team that doesn't drop first. Okay. And then there's one other thing I wanted to ask is you got a lot of cool custom swag made. You had the the little 40 millimeter feet tokens, the ones with Maryland and Delaware and the sussy scuff. Like, I, I guess this is something that I don't think I ever hear other organizers or podcasts talk about. Where do you go to find these really cool custom widgets? Like, where would if I I want to go do something for packs, where would I go to go do this? So I know a guy. <laughs> um, so it's reaching out to your community. So I'm very fortunate that I got some great, you know, great soldiers in my unit. And uh, one of my uh, fellow NCOs, he and his wife, this is like a side business that they have. So he hooked us up with these really you know, cool, unique 40 millimeter bases for this, the sussy scuff and Delaware War Machine and Maryland War Machine. So taking a page out of, uh, out of Seth's book, I wanted to make sure that everybody, you know, left with something to kind of commemorate the event. So it's a 40 mil, ba you know, base that they can use as a proxy or a flag. That was really important to me. So that's a way to save money is kind of like 
get out there and look and, and see who's who's doing stuff. A lot of tabletop gamers, like in our immediate community, they have 3D printers. They do woodworking. So your token guy or girl might be, you know, in your immediate gaming community. So it's just it's just reaching out. Etsy is also a great resource. What was another one that you used that like I, I the Fervor, Fever? What is it? I call it Fiber. Oh. So that's a great website I use for basically like our art assets that we use here at Tried and True and on our social media sites. And that links you up with artists all across the world. And it's great. Like you negotiate prices with them for different projects. It's how I have found our musician. Yeah, highly recommend. And then for the pins, that one I did for pre-orders because we got really, really nice pins done for the sussy scuff. They're a little bit more expensive. So I coordinated the pins with the, you know, the trophy person that we use for our plaque for steamrollers. And I took a pre-order on that. So that's the other thing I would say is if you're doing swag, add it to like your your ticket cost or for your pre-orders. So before you like upfront cost this stuff, because it can be really expensive and you can lose money. At least if you have that pre-order, you know, monies, you can use that upfront instead of, you know, being out of out of pocket with this stuff okay was there anything else with the sussy scuff that we needed to go and talk about because I'm, I'm thankful that you talked about that because i think about like the like the Boca brawl or nova they had like the custom 50 millimeter bases and i would definitely like to be able to have something similar to that for packs was there anything else or can we go into talk about like actually setting up for packs now um i would just say like for prize support to reaching out to privateer press they've always sent us stuff like if there's just things sitting on the shelf they'll send to you or players that have been in the community for a while like again our prize table at the saucy scuff got more insane as the day went on which was like freaking awesome because we had like new players walk away with like practically the full faction so i actually got to go see anthony's full kator faction yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's go and finish up with our last point we're talking about setting up for packs now tony from advanced maneuvers you know pitches it hey basically tony said have you ever tried doing something for packs and i said i tried i got busy i i never really pursued it further and he said hey i'm gonna go and you know, figure this out. And sure enough, like he messaged us like about a week or so later saying like, yep, I got a spot for packs. Here's like the write up. Here's this, that. So I'm super excited about this. Now I, now we, you know, we have our own little discords channel. We're talking about coordinating everything at this point. Let's talk about like the important bits, right? So we need to figure out people running it. We need to figure out the stuff and we also need to figure out like it in general. So let's go ahead and talk about tapping into other metas for the stuff. So we have our own custom maps. We have the train, like the train yard we're painting up. We got the farm. We have the forest and stuff. Like we have all that stuff. And Advanced Maneuvers has theirs. And then it, it, it actually uh, Grant Ritchie, he's going to go see if the battle bunker can potentially uh, help us out. Do you think that's going to be enough things? Especially since Mark IV is really focusing on like 3D elements now? Well, we'll have to piece it all out. I think it would be a good idea to take an inventory so we know exactly what we're dealing with and you know we can count the number of things. You'd want probably eight to ten pieces of terrain, you know, varied. I'd err on the high end. I would say like ten pieces of terrain per table to set aside. That way if you do create a table that has less terrain features, you have a couple of options still to move around. Or, you know, if you're, you randomly pick up 10 pieces of terrain, they don't go together on this table, it's just not working out, you can still salvage from some other tables terrain. It might actually be a good idea as well is that when we do our tables, maybe we just try to keep each like metas like terrain together, just so that way it doesn't get all mixed up. I mm-hmm. mean, the inventory would help out as well. But I mean, that was just, you know, foolproof it a little bit further. Yeah, I agree. You know, we can 
Start by having a rough estimate of saying, if you were to run a local tournament, how many tables could you support? You know, how many physical tables could you build out, regardless of whether the players show up or not? Like, what would your max size event be in that local meta? Let's add those things together and maybe subtract one or two tables. And then that gives us a rough estimate of, you know, how many we could support. All right, so let's say that we have all this stuff, right? We have our maps, we have our terrain, we, we have everything that's necessary. We have 10 pieces of terrain, plus like, you know, the, the mat, we 3D elements, all that stuff. How do we get the stuff up there? Like, what, like, because, I mean, you've been in line, right? We, we've all been up at PAX. We know that it's, it's huge. Like, how would we go transport all the stuff up? Would we, like, have somebody there to, like, receive it, like, down down somewhere? Like, what, well, how do you think we would go about doing this? Because it's not in, like, a parking lot. It, it's, like, we have to act, we're, it's, like, at the convention center. Well, I think Tony's the one that's running it full bore, right? So i expecting at this point that we would have to go through him. It's likely that he'll be able to contact the organizers of the convention early, maybe get uh, in the doors the night before. So we'll need to be able to see what our options are even are. And that sort of thing is something that'll likely have to go through the, you know, the staff that runs that convention more than anything else. We'll need to funnel through them. However we however we approach them or talk to them through Tony or whatever. I think I actually agree with you without with trying to set it up the night before would probably be better. I was wondering though because you know, I was I was personally thinking like driving up earlier, you know, that Saturday morning to go set everything up. But I think if everything was done like the night before, I think that'd just be a lot easier at that point. Um, that way you don't feel like you're rushing in the morning and trying to meet the deadline. You basically just show up with your cup of coffee, you know, your players are there, you sign them in and you roll dice. Yeah. I mean, even when we were down at Nova there, you know, we were there as the convention was opening and you know, we still saw people that were putting out the mats on top of tables and getting those Lord of the Rings tables set up. So even if it's just uh, there is a way that you can get in earlier, that's, you know, the that's what we need to pursue. I think that's also good as well, because, you know, God forbid that somebody is unable to show up. Let's just say like, OK, we're going to go drive everything up that Friday. I think that probably be better because if something happened where if maybe myself, I got preoccupied by something whether it's family or whatever, and like, hey, I cannot drive up the sub this night. Somebody can at least come to my house, pick it up, and they can go drive it up, or they can at least do it like that morning as well. So that way, it's that if we were just left to only being that Saturday morning and something were to come up, well, then you're maybe down like a couple of tables because you don't have the stuff. So no, I agree. I think trying to get everything set up a day before would probably be the best. And then let's just go and finish up like, well, who would do what? So I like I was talking to Tony and he said that, you know, running the event, but also he wanted to have a demo table up. I guess if it's a 32 person steamroller, that is a if I remember correctly, that's a four round event, right? So it's 32 to 16 to eight to four. No, wait, that's a five round event. Yeah, it's five round. OK, so so it's a five round event. So how many judges do you think we would have to have for that event? Like what what roles do you see happen? Let's say that everyone plays, you know, I will go set up. I'll do this like. Like, what roles do you think would be necessary for the day of? Like, how many judges, a person on stats or, you know, score tracker, what have you? I think we need to kind of go to the community on this one. We know, you know, Seth and other people have run these large events. And if we're expecting, you know, that many players, we're probably going to need to put uh, several judges out. But how many judges per number of tables do they you know, loosely suggest. It also depends on, you know, availability of people. If this is the first big 
convention to have a Mark IV event, maybe it gets packed. Maybe the uh, some of the locals are more interested in playing instead of helping, you know, run. These are all you know, conversations that we're going to need to have as we run up to December. You know, the other thing I'm also wondering is that because it's going to be mostly new and again, with like the, the beta rules and stuff, if they even change anything is that if however many judges you end up having, you need to make sure that all those judges like know the rules or at least are competent enough in it that, you know, especially with like unit movement, am I engaged? Am I not engaged? Can this unit charge or not charge? Like, I feel like that's going to be most of the judge rulings like that day because it's going to be a lot of people like learning the stuff for the first time. I am kind of expecting Expecting to have to ask for extra judges or, or padding those positions because I am sure that there will be a lot of stumbles, you know, in the early days of this edition, just because of some of the dynamic changes that we're seeing, or because God help us, some of the very minutia items change, like you know, one model advantage such as you know gunfighter did something different in the last edition than it does now, and you know, players don't remember that. At the end of the day. If they're able to resolve it at their table and the game proceeds just fine and so be it, right? But if they do stop and call for a judge and a lot of people call for a judge, we're going to need more judges. I would also say that's also a contributing factor of why we're keeping the points low, right? So it's what, a 50 point event? So that'll help. So it's less models to be less complicated with calling and learning this new edition of the game no i think i think that'll be fine okay um well then i think with that i think we've actually uh, hit everything is there anything else about packs that we need to kind of think about uh hop on either our discord or maryland's discord and give us some feedback and ideas because we'd like to uh, execute on some of that cool stuff that people are thinking about all right well i guess with that that actually concludes this this series am i right so uh, about hosting your large events so Starting off with Seth, talking about the Boca Brawl, your three-day event, and then, you know, breaking it down to Liberty Brawl and having Gonzo talk about uh, Warfare Weekend and doing qualifiers. I think overall, like, this has been a, a great series to hopefully inspire people to go and create their own stuff. I, I mean, if you want to go and create some Mark IV-related events, you know, use the stuff that PP is going to push out, maybe turn it into something big, use those leagues, or if you want to do something bigger, like tap into other people. And I'm pretty sure everyone is going to want to see you be successful. Yeah. And if you've got, uh, if you yourself have run any really large events, we'd love to hear from you. You know, things that you thought were successful or things that maybe went hilariously the wrong way. You know, tell us, shoot us over some of your war stories if you want to leave a comment or anything. Even this, if if we've even not even mentioned something that you're like oh my gosh they didn't talk about you know factor x that we didn't even talk about like put that in the comments below as well because uh, any feedback would be super helpful sure um as everything goes in life and war machine in general you always want to build up better and do more the next time and you know really push yourselves and what you're capable of running larger events is a great way to do that yeah i just special shout out and thank you to seth grant and gonzo your guys's guidance is um it's really appreciated and and well received so thank you so much for you know being a good mentor to myself and in our communities here. Thanks to Ryan and Sam for continuing, you know, to, to co-run events with Delaware. It's It's been a lot of fun watching our communities and our metas grow over the past year. So I'm looking forward to 2023 and all that's here to come. Oh, and good luck to uh, all the WTC teams out there. I think at the time that uh, this is going to be out, I think WTC would already be over. But All right. Well, I, I hope you have fun and safe travels. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, with that, 
we want to thank everybody for following along for uh, our patrons on Patreon. Thank you for your continued support. We want to give everybody a heads up, though, uh, with the conclusion of this series. We're going to go take a break until our new idea for a series pops up. But right now, we're uh, interested in, you know, painting models and doing terrain and getting stuff ready for packs. So I guess we will catch you on the next series. So thank you for your time listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Bye. Thanks, everyone.